0: Hey guys, welcome back to the latest Ticks by the Lake. I'm your host, Doug Maurice. We're going to get right to it. A couple quick notes. I'm from Cleveland.com. You know that by now. Read my stuff online at Cleveland.com. That will help me. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. I'm going to get an Instagram account going so I can pop some Brown stuff, Ohio State stuff up there. I'll let you know when that gets started. Do me another favor. Go watch the debut episode of Cleveland Sports Tonight on YouTube. It's a 25-minute Cleveland Sports Talk show. I can't remember if I pumped it up on here or not. I think I did last week. It's something new. We we need to get a little bit of an audience so we can keep trying it. It's something different. Go on YouTube and type in this, okay? Cleveland Sports Tonight, T-O-N-I-T-E, debut episode. See what you think. I am an average sports talk, TV show, host, and also an average podcast host. So what else is new? So thanks for that. Now to this. Browns camp has started. I did not go on Thursday because I was getting back from Chicago after Big Ten media days where a lot of stuff happened with Urban Meyer. We're going to continue reporting on that. So I did not get to the first day of Browns camp, which I hope to do. I do plan to be there Friday. I do plan to be there a lot. I do plan to talk a lot of Browns on this podcast during camp. Last week, we did um, some calves stuff. We kind of wrapped up the Cavs. We'll check in on the Indians from time to time, but I'm going to hit the Browns. I'm going to hit what I think is going to be a fascinating season, and I hope you guys come along for the ride. We, of course, want you listening to our other Cleveland.com podcasts, like Orange and Brown Talk. That's Dan Labe and Mary Kay Cabot. Listen to them. They're tremendous. Make sure you're subscribed to that. This is going to supplement that, and this week, Super, super interesting guest. It's a baseball writer, and here's why. It's Ben Ryder. He's a Sports Illustrated baseball writer, and he just wrote a book on the Houston Astros. It's fascinating, and the reason I had him on, he's been doing all this media, but this is the only place where you can hear Ben Ryder for 25 minutes talk about the Astros in the context of the Browns. The Astros tore it down, built it up, and won the World Series. What lessons can we learn from that for the Browns? What's different about the NFL? What's different about how the Browns are doing it? One thing is the Browns fired their guy who was leading it. The Astros did not. But it's an interesting evaluation. I think if you care about the Browns, you will learn something from his book. It's an interesting look at building a franchise. And I hope this gives Browns fans... Another lens at this. You know, I love to talk about this stuff. We're going to get into the football stuff during camp, but I love to talk about this other kind of stuff. So please enjoy this conversation with Ben Ryder. Make sure you're subscribed to Takes by the Lake. We're going to take you on a journey through this Brown season. Okay? I'm going to be doing a lot more Brown stuff. I think I'll be at basically every home game, maybe a couple road games. I'm going to try to be in Berea every week interviewing people. I'm I'm kind of going to do more Browns, okay? Um, And I think it's going to be a very interesting year. So thanks to you guys for listening to Takes by the Lake. Please enjoy this conversation with Ben Ryder, Sports Illustrated writer and author of the new book, Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. We're here with Ben Ryder, the author of the new book, Astro Ball, a new Way to Win It All, and I have just informed Ben, an esteemed baseball writer, that he's here to talk about the Cleveland Browns with us, and he's in for that. So Ben, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Doug. So Ben, I think people have some idea of your story. You wrote the cover story for Sports Illustrated in 2014 in June, saying the Astros would win it all in 2017, and then you were Right. Why did you think the Astros plan would work? Um, I, a lot of people sort of had an idea of it. Why did you think it would be successful?
1: Well, uh, Doug, when I went into the, to the, uh, to the Astros front office in June of 2014, I promised them one thing, which is that I would have an open mind. Like, they were getting so much heat from all quadrants As much as the Browns have gotten for the past several years, uh, they were being accused of running their organization cynically, as far as the tanking, as far as not spending a lot of money, and ineptly, because there were very few signs that this thing was going to work. Uh, I happened to be able to negotiate some pretty unprecedented access, at least for the past decade or so, uh, to the front office. I sat in. On their meeting in 2014, their final meeting with the whole organization, scouts, analysts, Nolan Ryan was in the room, Craig Vigio was in the room, as they decided who they were going to take number one overall in that draft. I sat in on the draft room. I certainly did not get the view of an organization that had no idea what it was doing. In fact, they had a very clear plan, a very logical plan, and a plan I hadn't really heard before. Like, the pendulum had obviously swung very far towards analytics at the time, ever since Moneyball came out, really. The idea was that the numbers were better than humans. You know, computers could wipe away all the biases and things that human observers had. Uh, It was about the primacy of analytics over humans. The Astros were very clear that they did not believe that that was the best way to win. They were clear that they thought that humans still had value as far as scouts in particular – um, and they had come up with a way to synthesize those observations, that source of predictive information, with what was c- clearly the most advanced analytics department around. Um, I thought that that plan certainly had promise. There were a five thousand word cover story um, behind the cover, suggesting why that was.
0: And you know, three and a half years later, amazingly enough, it came true. So I think that obviously, when an organization does this, there's sort of two parts of it. There's The execution of it, what you just described, the strategy of how we're going to use numbers, how we're going to use people, and that kind of thing. But then there's also the dedication to the idea of we're going to prioritize the future. We're not going to worry about now. And so I don't have a full understanding of the inner workings of the Browns and how they did everything, but but the obvious connection – is this the strategy to say we're going to prioritize the future over the present. And Ben, if you would allow me, I know authors love it when people read their books back to them, right? Don't you love that?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone's done it yet, but we'll see how it goes.
0: All right, there's just a little section on page 44 that jumped out to me and screamed to me about the Browns. I'll read quickly. You wrote, unlike other rebuilding teams, the Astros would not make cosmetic decisions, wasting money on a free agent or hanging on to old and expensive fan favorites in an effort to keep up appearances, particularly when those players might instead be immediately converted into future assets. Then there's a big quote, a paragraph down from the Astros GM. You look at how other organizations have done it. They've tried to maintain a 500-level team as they prepare to be good in the future. That path is probably necessary in some markets. There would be ramifications if you didn't do that, but it takes 10 years. Our fans have already been on the decline from 2006 to 2011. It's not like we're starting fresh. How do we get things on the upswing as soon as possible so that we can get to the point where we're consistently competitive? Would it be the right strategy for somebody else? who had a great farm system, younger, up-and-coming players already at the big league level? No, but for us, it was. At the end of the day, this is what screamed at me. When you're in 2017, you don't really care that much about whether we lost 98 or 107 in 2012. You care about how close we are to winning a championship in 2017. That, to me, is a quote that applies to the 0-16 Cleveland Browns, it does. If you're going to lose, lose big. It, losing is losing. But if losing sets you up for the future, there's value in that. Were you, Ben, before you went into that room with the Astros, before you did that story, were you a tanker? And, and when did you, what do you think now of the idea for the Astros or the Browns or any sports team who says, we're not going to worry about how much we lose now. We're going to prioritize the future.
1: I think, again, I went in with an open mind. You know, I wanted to see what they were up to. Look, you have to understand, like, people in Cleveland know this well. Losing sucks, yep. right? It's, it's awful. It's awful for the fans. It's awful for the players. It's awful for the executives. You know, Jeff Luno, the GM of the team, and Sig Meidel, his chief data man, uh, had to sit through each of those games. You know, they had to watch this 15-game losing streak with which they ended the 2013 season. The highlight of that season was something called the butt slide, <laughs> which is when Jonathan VR, you might remember this. I just read this was, part. Slid into <laughs> second base. Uh, Brandon Phillips, the red second baseman, received the ball with his backside pointed towards first. Jonathan VR's face implanted directly into his posterior. This shot was was posted on blogs immediately across the country. This was like the visual representation of what the Astros were. So every day it was torture for everybody to do this. You have to be pretty confident to continue along this path given the realities on the ground. And one thing you have to give credit to the front office and the owner too, Jim Craig. I mean, this is his property He's a longtime fixture in Houston, and everybody hates him, right? Because of what his his team is doing. You have to have extreme confidence. A lot of times it's confused for arrogance um, in the program you have in place. You know, clearly it paid off. And look, I mean, you ask any Astros fan now, you know, do you even remember 2013? Like, yeah, they remember it, but they don't care. Like, everything that happened last October completely wiped it away. It's certainly risky,
0: though. Here's the thing, and, and again, I'm trying to draw some comparisons here. I think there are very stark, very clear comparisons between the Astros and the Browns. The Astros yep. in 2011 went 56-106. and That was like their last bad year before they hired Jeff, before they tried this turnaround. For the Browns, that was going 3-13 and in 2015, and then they hired Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown. Then the Astros really bottomed out. 2012, they lose 107. 2013, what you just talked about, they lose 111. For the Browns, that's the last two years. That's going 1-15 in 2016 and bottoming out at 0-16 last year. Then the Astros started back up. Then they go 70-92. and They have three seasons of bouncing back up. 70 wins, 86 wins, 84 wins. Then they win it all with 101 wins in 2017. I think maybe you can go faster in the NFL. Maybe it won't take four years to get to that top level. But but the bottoming out here and then the bounce back, when you got there, Ben, in 2014, they were at the beginning of being slightly less completely dreadful. Right? And so it was, you, you do sort of, you could see that you bottom out, and then you start the climb back up, right? You bottom out, and then you climb back up. That's, that's
1: absolutely right. And look, I mean, three years uh, doesn't sound like it's a very long time. In sports, is an eternity. You can yep. totally make over an organization in three years. And you're right. Back in 2014, when I was there, George Springer had just come up. Uh, he had his flaws at the time. He struck out a ton, but he was finally pumping some life into the organization, kind of like, I don't know, like Miles Jarrett can be a a comparable player. Like when you have that core that is going to be good, the fact is that the turnaround usually comes much faster than people think, or it often does at least. I mean, it was only a year later that they made the wild card, that that they won the wild card and actually made the ALDS. We've seen this time and again. Look in baseball again to the Phillies this year. Yep. You know they're all they're all and the Braves too, right? Nobody thought, oh, this is the year they're going to be good. It's going to happen maybe a year down the line. No, like when you have that core in place, uh, all you need is some complementary pieces, and you can quickly become
0: a winner. I know you're a baseball guy, Ben, and there's a lot of differences between baseball and football. We know the NFL doesn't have a minor league system like baseball. The NFL, though, has a lot more parity. There's not the differences um, in in payroll, which is obviously the, something that the Astros were dealing with. In general, just in general, as a baseball guy, do you think it makes sense for an NFL team to try this? Is there enough? Are there enough things that are comparable? that if it worked for the Astros in baseball, it's worth a team like the Browns trying in the NFL? Or is your gut instinct that, like, you know what, this is a thing that's maybe more specific to baseball and the way baseball is structured to try what the Astros did?
1: There are certainly some differences in timelines, right? I mean, when you draft a guy like Carlos Correa in 2012, you're drafting what you're hoping is going to be your organizational centerpiece for a decade or more, right? right? That's not that's not usually how it works in football. When you draft a guy, you know, what's his shelf like? Like, maybe you get a Baker Mayfield, who I think is actually very comparable to Carlos Correa in a lot of ways as far as how the Browns landed on him, and we can get into that if you want. Maybe you have that centerpiece player for 10 years, 12 years uh, at max, but I do think that in football, actually – There might be even more opportunities to turn things over faster. So, yeah, I do think that this is certainly a viable strategy in football. But look, you need those core players. You need to find them. You need to make the right decisions on the right guys. For the Astros, it's obviously Correa, Tuve, Springer, Dallas Keuchel. Um, And then once you get some momentum, you can add in the complementary pieces you need, like Justin Berlander or something. I think that model certainly applies to the NFL.
0: And that is the point here. There's strategy. We know there's strategy. But in the end, it's about the players. You can set yourself up to have the opportunity to take very good players. Then you have to take the right players. But sometimes you take the right player and he still doesn't work out. So Mm -hmm. what degree of this... How much luck is involved in this and how much is it, in your opinion, not luck that when they drafted Correa that he becomes a star, right? That, is that There's obviously some luck involved, but for the Browns, for this to work for the Browns, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and Baker Mayfield and David Njoku and all these guys they've picked because they stink, they have to become long-time, high-level, core players Or it's not gonna work how much of that is luck how much of that is skill in being smart and picking the right guys
1: well it's a real mix and I think one of the smart parts of the Astros strategy was that they never intended to get every decision right you know their strategy is not designed to do that they know it's impossible and they didn't I mean this is a team that drafted Mark Appel number one when Chris Bryant went number two in 2013 this is a team who became the third team ever not to sign the number one overall pick in Brady Aiken Uh, Their system is designed to get marginally more decisions right than their competitors. And and that's what they've done. You know, there's a quote in the book from Sig Meidel, who's a great character. He was a college blackjack dealer. He went to work for NASA, made his way into baseball analytics. Uh, He says, what if we don't have good results? I love my job in baseball. It would be terribly disappointing. But all we can control is the process. And I'm confident we're creating good processes and making good decisions. The rest is hope. So they clearly have allowed for luck to uh, play its role. But look, there's also a matter of making your own luck. You know, I mentioned the similarities I see between Carlos Correa and Baker Mayfield. Nobody thought the Astros were going to take Carlos Correa number one overall in 2012. And if they're only an analytically driven organization – uh, only an analytically driven organization they wouldn't have for a lot of reasons one of them being that the track record for puerto rican players for a long time had been very poor for a number of reasons here was a puerto rican player coming uh, nobody thought he'd be number one overall but what they did is they spent a lot of time getting to know the player they sat down with him they scouted him extensively um They learned how he had practiced two hours every single night with his dad his entire life, no matter what. They learned how when he was eight, he begged his parents who didn't speak English to send him to a bilingual school so that he could learn the language such that when he became a major league star, he wouldn't be embarrassed when giving interviews on TV. That's the type of self-driven, kind of growth-oriented player uh, that the Astros always tried to draft. So yeah, I understand that a lot of Analytics suggest that Baker Mayfield was not the best player in the draft last year due to his height, due to his arm strength, maybe due to a lot of stuff. But clearly the Browns were factoring in the intangible things, the character, the scouting that they saw in Mayfield, and that's put that pushed them towards that decision just as it had for the Astros
0: with Correa. That's a that's a great comparison. And and again, the thing you said about the Astros admitting you're not gonna get everyone right, that you know, Sashi Brown got a lot of criticism for trading down in some of those drafts but again that was their idea you get more shots at it so rather yeah. than rather than just pick high we'll take a couple extra picks knowing we're going to miss on some and I do think it's hard for some people I think it was good that it was good for the Browns fans to hear you bring up the misses by the Astros because I think some people think well you know the Browns screwed this up the Browns screwed that up it's not going to work but it, yeah. you, you don't get everything right nobody does
1: No it's a, it's a cumulative thing we haven't even mentioned yet uh, their biggest screw-up of all, right? Which is spring training 2014, they have an outfielder who hasn't been very good for a couple years in the big leagues, but he comes to them. He says, guys, like I overhauled my swing over the winter. I went down to Venezuela, played winter ball. It's feeling really good. I feel like I'm crushing the ball now. Just give me some at-bats in spring training. I know, I know I'm know, on 10 ice. Give me some at-bats and let me show you what I can do. They didn't. They gave him 18 at-bats all spring, and then they cut him. About a week later, that player comes back as a member of the Detroit Tigers in a minor league game, hits three home runs in a single game with Jeff Luna watching. Jeff Luna told me, he's like, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? What they did was they cut J.D. Martinez like God. a week before <laughs> he became an outright superstar, which he still is. I mean, he's leading baseball in home runs. That's just a terrible decision, and if you're a cynic, you can blow that up the importance of that and say, look, these guys don't know what they're doing. They cut an outright superstar, but it, should, it shouldn't be considered in a vacuum, and it's also important that the Astros learned from a mistake like that, such as going forward, when a player said, hey, I made some changes in the
0: offseason, they are committed to taking a look at them to see if that's true. Browns fans who are still freaking out because the Browns didn't draft Carson Wentz, Listen to what Ben just said. The Astros won the World Series even though they cut J.D. Martinez and they didn't draft Chris Bryant, right? You don't yeah. have to get everything right. You just have to get a, a decent number of things right. So I do think Baker. you missed Carson Wentz, but you have Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield. You can make up for that kind of thing. The one big stark contrast here, Ben, is that yeah. Sashi Brown is the guy who implemented this in Cleveland. Jimmy Haslam hired him and allowed him to go down this path, and then they fired him. Jeff Luno was allowed to see this through. Was there ever a time when the Astros came close to pulling the plug on this process, or were they all in, even even though it took several seasons, for them to build to this? Absolutely not. They had an owner, Jim Crane, who bought
1: into what this meant. The embarrassment, the 0.0 TV ratings being made fun of by Alex Trebek on Jeopardy. I mean, this is a very proud guy, as any billionaire is. But he told me on the field, Game 7 in Los Angeles. You know, He said, I said to Jeff all along, the plan, the plan, stick to the plan. And that's exactly what we did. So you're right. The Browns aren't alone, though, in kind of getting cold feet along the way, right? I mean, the Sixers, yep. who also followed the Astros in instituting this process, fired Sam Hinkie. And what do you know? Like shortly afterwards, all the players that Sam Hinkie has selected turn into a playoff team, right? And are now probably the favorite, I guess, in the East, or at least one of them. One of them, yep. Uh, given the talent drain from that conference, so yeah, I mean that's certainly a difference. And you know, I have a feeling if you go forward and the, the Browns thing does start
0: to work, if a lot of people might reconsider what they think about Sashi Brown. I do think so. So that's the the fly on the ointment for Browns fans and a little bit for me that you hope, you know, John Dorsey, the new GM, is getting a lot of credit for the things he's doing now. Some of the players he acquired, we all know that a lot of that he was set up with the salary cap, with extra draft picks to be able to do that. But the Browns got rid of the guy who was going to see it through. You hope the plan works anyway. But again, what I'm circling is, the Astros in 2012 and 2013, they lose 107, they lose 111. The Browns lose 15 and 16 games the last two years. Now this should be the beginning of the bounce back. Ben, sometimes a guy like me can make it sound easy. Oh, all you have to do is, is suck super bad, and then four years later, you'll be good. I know it's not—so not every team in the league. You can't just have every team in every sport who's mediocre say, the heck with it, we're going to tank. Uh, for instance, the Cavs. Some people here in Cleveland wanted the Brown, wanted the Cavs to tank after LeBron left. Instead, they re they extended Kevin Love. It seems like they're not going to tank. I think a, a tank for the Cavs would have been wrong. Are you, do you think there are a couple things that need to be in place for this Astros strategy to be right for a franchise, regardless of what sport it is? Or are there a couple things that need to be there to say, yeah, this is a good plan to try?
1: I do. And it's essentially desperation, which is what the the Browns had. Look, this was not like a team that was okay when Jeff Luno came in and when Jim uh, Jim Crane came in. They were terrible. You know, they had virtually no assets on the major league level. All they had was, like, a very expensive and aging Carlos Lee. They had, like, J.A. Happ before he became very good. They didn't have talent at the major league level. But even more damaging was that they didn't have anything in the minors, right? They didn't – they had – just 2 years before been ranked as the worst minor league team, a uh, minor league system in the game. So they essentially had no assets to spin forward. I mean, Jeff Luna will tell you like that was a big reason why they had to undertake this extremely drastic plan to try to build the organization up from the ground level from below the ground level actually. I think any team and this is most teams that does have some value at least uh, can do it a lot faster than the Browns. You know, look what the Yankees did, right? Like, two years ago, they were old, they are aging, they were past it. Brian Cashman essentially used the value he had left on the roster to remake the team in about a week. And last year, they almost made the World Series in a season in which they weren't even really intending to, con- to contend. So, uh, yeah, I, the Astros is certainly an extreme case, but that doesn't mean, as far as the process they installed, player valuation, uh, combining analytics with human gut is not one that can't be uh, followed by any organization in any sport, and in fact, organizations in you know most industries you can think
0: of. So I will admit, I, I had circled two things in the book, Ben. One was the quote that I read to you, and then the SIG quote that you read was the other one I had circled. The idea okay. that, that you put the processes in place, but then you have hope, right? That that there's no guarantees, But as we sit here right now, Ben, just what advice, having you understand what the Astros did better than anybody on the planet, what advice from what you learned about the Astros would you give to Browns fans right now? There are no guarantees, but as they're sitting here coming off 1-15 and 0-16, what would you say to a Browns fan who may be skeptical about where the Browns are right now? I think you have to have a little more patience, right? I mean, look.
1: If we get halfway through the season and the team is still like 0-8 given the additions they've made, given how guys like Miles Garrett are developing, given that they've added people like Jarvis Landry, look, it's clear that they're signaling that this is this is their 2014, right? Yes. Like we should be past the low point, we should be start start to climbing up now. Like if you see some signs, I'm not saying a playoff appearance, but if you see I don't know, five or six wins and you see some young guys doing something, then I think you can start building momentum. If it's the other case,
0: um, I'm sorry to say it might be a bit of a longer road. Yeah, and and that's you, you still have to have the right people in place. I do think that they did fire a manager, right? Didn't the Astros fire the manager after 2014? That's right. They that, did fire Bo Porter and brought in
1: A.J. Hinch, uh, primarily because they felt like Hinch was more equipped to be the, the focal point of the organization, which is really what the manager, or the head coach is like, it was interesting. Jeff luner told me when he was interviewing for managers, he asked them all the same question. There were 10 candidates. He asked them all, I'm going to send down the lineup from the front office every single day. Are you OK with that? And a lot of the guys said, yeah, you know, we're in a data driven age. It's an analytically forward thinking organization. Sure, I'm OK with that. That's the wrong answer. That was not the answer he was looking for, and that's not the answer that A.J. Hinch gave. It's up to the manager to be the filter between the clubhouse and the front office and back. Only the manager on the ground knows, you know, whose knee is hurting, who didn't sleep well the night before, who's fighting with his girlfriend. The manager or the head coach has to be empowered to make
0: those data-driven decisions, but those decisions that are also based on the realities on the ground. So I think it's important for Browns fans to know they did make a change there. Hugh Jackson is getting another shot this year to be that guy. But on this path back up, if he proves he's not the guy, they have to make a change like the Astros did. So, Ben, this is my final question. The one I have been building up to for twenty five minutes, the one that Browns fans are desperate to hear. Ben Ryder, when will the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl? Oh man, I wish I was more of an expert
1: here's the timeline okay so if we say that this year is 2014
0: right when the astros Astros. went 70 and 92 which was a a 19 game improvement but still is far from 500 yes
1: okay then 2019 and 2020 can be kind of the
0: ramping up years maybe contending for a playoffs maybe winning a wild card or something yep so look
1: man it's got to be 2021
0: all right i'm in I in Browns fans, I know that's still a couple years away, but given how long you've waited so far, I think you can wait until 2021. Ben Ryder, this is an exceptional book, and the thing I want Browns fans to know is you do not have to be an Astros fan to read this. You have to be a, 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 want an understanding of how a franchise rebuilds, how a franchise thinks differently, how a franchise invests in itself. And I would advise Cleveland Browns fans, if you are looking for hope, if you are looking for a strategy and a reason to believe, go get Ben's book, Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All, from Ben Ryder. Ben, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great conversation. And uh, if, the, if the Browns win in 2021, I'm writing a book. And you're writing the foreword.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Ian. I, I do believe the Browns have a, have a right system and process in place. But as Sig Meidel says...
0: The rest is hooked. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks. And that's it for this Takes by the Lake. Get subscribed to all the Cleveland.com podcasts. you got to subscribe separately. You're subscribed to Takes by the Lake, we hope. Get subscribed to Orange and Brown Talk. Get subscribed to Cleveland Baseball Talk, Wine and Gold Talk, and Buckeye Talk, all separately. You can find them on iTunes. You can find them on uh, Google Play, Google Podcasts. Listen, like, you'll find it. Right? You'll find it. A lot of the, the, the podcast apps you guys use, we're out there. It's the best way to get it. If you want them all in one place, see what's out there. See what you want to listen to this week. Cleveland.com slash podcasts. That takes you to the page where they're all listed right there. So again, the Browns are started. I'm in on the Browns. I'm fascinated by the Browns. Ohio State's going to get going. The Indians are going to be interesting again. Cleveland got an interesting sports town and I'm glad we have takes by the lake to talk about it so thanks to Ben Ryder thanks to you guys that was takes by the lake I'm Doug Maurice and we'll talk to you next time